Monday morning. Good Monday morning. Hello, humans of the Twin Cities in Minnesota and humans of the world at large. It's me, Ellie Krug. You're listening to Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. I just love saying that. Hello, all of you. How are you today? Happy Monday. Yes, I sound very ecstatic, don't I? And and yes, uh, hopefully it's contagious. And um, But maybe you're you're stuck in traffic right now at this very early hour. And, um, and maybe you're like, uh, you're the last thing I need to hear, Ellie. You all bumpy and ecstatic. But don't turn me off. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll grow on you. So... And happy first day of October. So it's official. Um, It is now fall. Yes. And before you know it, we will be there with the holidays. Um, I guess before I get into that, let's just do the standard warning. Regular listeners, just bear with me. New listeners, hey, how are you? Nice to meet you. My name is Ellie Krug. And yes, you're hearing what sounds like a man's voice on the radio, and that's because... I'm transgender and one of the relatively few transgender radio hosts in the world. I'm a transgender woman. I'm actually a woman who happens to be transgender. Okay, we got past that. As I was saying, the holidays are coming up. And you know the holidays for many people, I mean it's time for family and renewal and all that stuff, but it's also a time for hope. You know, I mean on the most you know, micro level, hoping that the holidays go well and Uncle Sam doesn't, uh, or Fred or Joe doesn't fall asleep in his soup or doesn't get into that tricky political conversation that no one wants to have. But it's also more of a hope about the faith of humanity. I mean, that's really what Christmas is about, is that we're all common in humanity and that we're good people in our humanity. And so, you know, this show is about idealism. It's about what I call practical idealism. And inherent in idealism, and particularly true for me, for Ellie Krug, for moi, is a sense of hope. You need to have hope in order to be an idealist. And there's no way that I could do my work in the world as a practical idealist without hope. With hope that the future will be better. Hope that human kindness and compassion will show through. And so today's theme is about hope. It is intertwined with idealism. And today's show is an Ellie's Talking Head show. I don't have any guest. It's just me. You've got me for this entire show. Please, I hope that that's all right. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, it, it, well, we don't need to get into it, but you've got me. And so Talking Head, da-da. So on the theme of hope... Um, What I'd like to do is share about a remarkable person with enormous reservoir of hope. And then after I'm done doing that, I'm going to talk about what happens when you lose hope. And then what happens when we have a leader who offers hope. And then finally, I'll talk about my work, about a big upcoming event where I'll try to nourish hope in others. Yep, hope is the word. I know, I know. And you're like, okay, I've had enough of that, L. So, um... Here's a question for you. What do you think, what extreme degree of hope do you think it would take for a black man to believe that he can convince a white Ku Klux Klan man or member to leave the Klan and surrender his Klan robe to the black man? I mean, we've got to, I think we can all agree that that's a heck of a lot of hope for someone to have, and also a lot of guts. Well, there is a black man who's doing that. His name is Daryl Davis, and he is going across the South having conversations with Ku Klux Klan members, and in the process, earning their trust and their respect. And for some, Davis is being a catalyst to cause those Klan members to renounce their beliefs. He is. It's pretty remarkable. And maybe you've heard about this man Maybe you've seen him on CNN or listened to him on NPR. Please don't be listening to that at the same time Ellie Krug, Ellie 2.0 Radio is on or other other shows on this station. But Davis, he's 60 years old. And growing up, he had always wondered why some whites would hate him. You know, Davis as a black man without even knowing him. I mean, Davis is fond of saying, why do you hate me when you know nothing about me? So all of this was triggered, this 
journey that Davis is on about dealing with the Ku Klux Klan and meeting Klan's members was all triggered about 20, 25 years ago when Davis uh, was in a Maryland bar playing uh, rhythm and blues uh, tunes on the piano as part of a musical group. So Davis, really his day job, his career job, is as a musician, as a um, R&B musician um, on the piano. He's played with, you know, uh, Bo Diddley and um, Jerry Lee Lewis and uh, a lot of different people. Um, and apparently a fairly accomplished pianist. So 25 years ago, uh, Davis is in a bar playing music and a white man comes up to him and says, I've never heard a black man play as well as Jerry, Lewis, Jerry Lee Lewis like you do. And Davis responded that Jerry Lee Lewis actually had learned his style of rock and roll from black musicians. And eventually the white man and Davis um, decided to have a drink together. And it was during that conversation that the white man disclosed that he was a Ku Klux Klan member. In fact, the white man said that it was the first time he had ever sat down to talk that is, to talk to a black person. So that got Davis thinking. And it got him thinking that if he could just talk to Klan members, just sit down and talk with them, maybe he could convince them not to hate him, Davis, or other black people. So for the last 20 to 25 years, Davis has been meeting with Ku Klux Klan members in the South. He's met with a couple hundred, and he's made friends with many. Uh, more than 40 of those Ku Klux Klan members have given Davis their robes and have renounced their membership in the Klan. Yeah. Now, some will, some say that Davis is kind of an oddball. That Daryl Davis um, has a couple of uh, loose wires um, and that, you know, he shouldn't be doing what he's doing. It's so unconventional. Uh, and, and um, in fact, Davis has had a couple of sticky wickets, a couple of sticky situations. He's gotten into a fight um, at least once, and a couple of times um, he has been ganged up uh, on by a couple of people. In fact, he had to file a lawsuit against one for assault, a group of people for assault. But generally, his experience has been pleasant. You know, and Davis's philosophy is pretty simple. Um, he says that if you don't if you don't know me, it's really easy to hate me. But if you spend five minutes talking to me, um, purportedly your worst enemy, if you're a clan member, that's five minutes that you aren't fighting or hating other clan other black people. You know, and this is I mean that philosophy of just hey, if I sit down with you and talk with you and you get to know me, we will break through some of the fear that you have, uh, some of the ignorance that you have, and perhaps we will, we will um, find our commonalities. I mean, this is, you know, pretty um, simple strategy, but it's very difficult for a lot of people. I mean, there is, of course, a lot of fear on both sides. But what Davis is doing by going into the lion's den, so to speak, by challenging clans members about why it is that they hate, and many of them can't really articulate it other than that that's the way they were brought up. By Davis doing that, he is displaying enormous faith and enormous hope that people are capable of changing. You know, and to date, um, Davis claims that he has been able to get 40 people um, at least 40 people directly to hand over their robes, their Ku Klux Klan robes to him. And that another, he says, another 150 or so indirectly have left the Klan because of his work. And, you know, it, it, I mean, apart from that, people like Daryl Davis. These Klan's members do. One, one Klan's member asked Davis to be the godparent to the Klan's member's child. Another clan's um, man um, was getting married. His uh, bride-to-be, um, had uh, her father was unavailable to attend the wedding, and they asked Davis to walk her down the aisle. Now think about that. You got two white people, one of whom is a clan member, getting married, and you got a black man uh, walking the bride down the aisle. 
Okay, that's that would be a sight to behold, but it does it does speak well of what Davis is doing, and about the hope that he has, and certainly about his idealism and his willingness to take risks to follow through on what he believes about the power of humans to change. You know, thinking boldly um, works sometimes. It really does. And having hope, talking about hope, reinforcing hope in other humans, that's an incredibly powerful thing. We all need to have faith. And we all, all of us, have hope. I mean, I'm, in my next segment, I will talk about those who have lost it and some of the implications for our society about that. But Daryl Davis, you, you are an idealist. You are doing incredibly important work around hope and important work around humanity. And for that, I am in awe. I wish that I could be more like you, and I certainly will not forget you. So there you go. Daryl Davis, idealist. It's what this show talks about. Look him up on Wikipedia. Daryl Davis, human. Idealist. Somebody changing the world. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com um, or email me at lejkrug at gmail.com. Sign up for my newsletter on the website. People love my newsletter, The Ripple. And when we come back, we'll talk more about hope and idealism. Thanks. Hello, humans. It's Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many know that I have a diversity and inclusion company, Human Inspiration Works, LLC. I want to share about a speaking event I'll be hosting on Monday, November 5th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at the Loft Literary Center in Minneapolis. I'll be giving my gray area thinking talk on how to be welcoming to others. I'd love for you to join me. Go to elliekrug.com and look at the Human is Human public events page for more. Please come and please tell others. See you then. Margaret Wheatley said, there is no more powerful way to initiate significant social change than to start a conversation. When a group of people discover that they share a common concern, that's when the process of change begins. On October 16th, you can be part of that change. Engage in the conversation at an incredible event. The Minnesota Women's Press Conversations, using our voice and vote. With midterms right around the corner, how we lobby, influence, and campaign, especially with people who have different views, has never been more important. So go to womenspress.com to register now. Oh, and Patricia Torres-Ray and Nakima Levy-Armstrong will be in a keynote conversation with each other. And in addition, all of us will mobilize through incredible breakout conversations. October 16th, from 4.30 to 8.30 in St. Paul at Carondelet Center, using our voice and vote. Register at Women's Press.com. That's womenspress.com. See you there. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. I want to hold the hand 
on AM 950. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio. Well, and our theme today, um, listeners, and I think hopefully some idealists out there, actually, you know, I believe almost everybody can be an idealist, um, but our theme today is about hope intertwined with idealism. And, uh, and, and Daryl Davis, who I just talked about, offers a, a shining example of what happens when you do have hope, about the things that you think you're capable of doing when you do have hope. Now, let me shift gears and talk a little bit about what it means to lose hope. And so, um, part of what I'm going to talk with you about right now is uh, fueled by a very old New York Times article. I mean, we're talking October of 2005. Article by Adam Liptak that I came across. And this article is titled, Serving Life with No Chance of Redemption. Uh The piece at that time followed the U.S. Supreme Court's March 2005 ruling that it was unconstitutional to execute persons for capital crimes like murder for when those people committed those crimes as juveniles. Until 2005, if you committed a crime and you killed somebody when you were 15 years old, um, guess what? Um, You were being executed in some of our states. But the Supreme Court put an end to that in October of 2005 and, and ruled that it was um, cruel and unusual punishment to, to, to execute juveniles for capital crimes. So Liptak, in his New York Times article, reported that with that decision, people who had been appealing death sentences were having um, – who were appealing their death sentences were in turn then finding, you know, that, that – um, their sentences were, excuse me, I'm just uh, stumbling here, that their sentences were then being converted from death sentences to life sentences. And he was finding and hearing, and he did this piece about that, about for those who are having their sentences converted to life in prison, they were losing hope. And he cited the case of a man named Randy Arayo, who, as a juvenile, was involved in a carjacking where the car owner was murdered. As Liptak wrote um, in that piece, um, he said that Mr. Arayo, he had just become a lifer. Um, That was after the Supreme Court decision. And that the last thing he wanted, lifers, Arayo said, exist in a world without hope. Quote, I wish I still had that death sentence, he said. I believe that my chances have gone down the drain. No one will ever look at my case. And what's really about this is the fact that people who are um, convicted of murder um, often attract uh, lawyers who are willing to handle their cases um, and come in and try and... um, get the death sentence overturned and, and, and really comb the case for facts and evidence to show that the um, person convicted of the, of the capital crime and, and sentenced to death, that he was really, he or she was really in, in, innocent. But there's not that same degree of sexiness for people who are serving life sentences. I mean, there are a number of, of preservation of life organizations that, that exist that are gung-ho for support you know, for battling on behalf of um, people convicted of capital crimes and facing death sentences. But not, they don't come and battle um, like that for people who are serving life sentences. And so there you, so Arayo and others that uh, Liptak talks about in his article are you know, losing hope, really losing hope because uh, they they didn't have hope that they would ever get out. And so, um, uh, you know, I think that th- I thought that that was an interesting twist about how hope can be erased even though um, your life will be preserved. And what it really is is that hope, hope to get out of prison is erased. Hope to end the suffering is erased. You know, and, Ho- and Liptak in his article cited a Louisiana... Um, uh, a prison official, you know, who pointed out one of the obvious things. And one of those 
obvious things about people who do commit murder is that most of them commit those crimes and crimes of passion. They are not they are not people who, for the most part, are serial killers. And, he, and Liptak, in his piece, uh, quoted a Louisiana prison official who said this, quote, Many of the lifers are not habitual felons. They committed a murder that was a crime of passion. That inmate is not necessarily hard to manage. Um, Liptak goes on to write, What is needed, he, the prison official, said, is hope, and that is in short supply. Quote, I tell them, you never know when you might win the lottery, this prison official said. You never know when you might get a pardon. You never know when they might change the law, unquote. And so for those in prison, um, hope is an incredibly powerful thing. And when they lose it, um, it can be very difficult. Um, in Minnesota, persons convicted of first-degree murder, um, murder have, in some instances, a life sentence without parole. For example, if you kill a police officer in Minnesota, you will spend the rest of your life in prison. You will not be able to come up for parole. In other instances, if you commit murder, it's going to be 30 years before you can sit before the parole board. Um, but, you know, hope is, a, again, a commodity in the Minnesota prison system. And in a uh, January 2016 Pioneer Press piece, um, a professor at the University of Minnesota Law School, Perry Moriarty, was quoted as saying, they will tell you the lack of hope is the most excruciating part of this to bear, unquote. That would be for people convicted of murder. And so... Um, you may recall the movie Shawshank Redemption, where there was this whole theme about hope and the absence of hope, the need for hope um, throughout that movie. And in the end, you may recall that the hero of the film, Andy, played by Tim Robbins, gives Red, played by Morgan Freeman, hope that life outside the prison would be okay. And so... This hope thing is real. It is. And when we lose it, when we lose hope, we lose the ability to have faith that anything will turn out all right. I mean, when we lose hope, that's when we do have prison riots in the prison context. But when we lose hope in personal lives outside of prison, people take their lives when they lose hope. When we lose hope, we have people who riot. When we lose hope, we have people who engage in civil war. Yeah, that's why this hope thing is so incredibly serious. Um, and uh, a, a note about an upcoming show. Um, I'm going to be doing a show about um, with uh, uh, Father Harry Hartigan um, coming up later on this month um, about the prisoners at Moose Lake. Father Harry's... Um, very idealistic work around uh, those prisoners and how hope is incredibly an important commodity up at Moose Lake. For the most part, there is an absence of it for the way that Moose Lake is operated. So um, stay tuned for that. When I come back from the break, I'm going to talk more about hope, but this time I'm going to talk about what happens when it's offered up by a politician one that all of you um, listening right now are very familiar with. So, um, I, uh, I hope you're enjoying this, talking about hope, and I guess um, I would ask as you're listening to this show, where's your hope? Where are you on the hope meter on a scale of 1 to 10? How hopeful are you for change? How hopeful are you for the future of our country, for your place in our country? Where are you on that? Have you lost it? Do you have it? And if you do, how strong is your hope? You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio, a different kind of radio show, one that taps into the idealism that all of us have, where we long for a better, more inclusive world. And that's really what makes America great. We'll be back in a second. Thank you. Which I never could explain. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. 
Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. I'm John Peterson, and at Ferndale Market, we are proud to provide our free-range turkey to local restaurants and natural food stores. One of our partners since the beginning has been Birchwood Cafe, and we're excited to announce a new partnership product, the Birchwood Turkey Burger Patty. Made from their popular turkey burger recipe, using our antibiotic-free turkey and Birchwood's local and organic ingredients. Put an end to bland turkey burgers. Find this and all our Ferndale turkey products at your local co-op or natural food store. Visit FerndaleMarket.com. Matt McNeil for Rudy Luther Toyota. My family conquered the family vacation thanks to my Toyota Sienna. This last summer, I drove 16 straight hours in a single day, heading to the coast, a test which challenges even the most comfortable vehicles. The Sienna passed with flying colors. Roomy, comfortable, and easy to drive, it made the long day a piece of cake. And when driving in a new town, the Toyota Sienna gives me the comfort and reliability I need. Test drive one yourself at Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. At Burger Moe's, Mondays no longer need to be a drag. Dine on the beautiful patio for Burger Monday Madness every Monday after 4 p.m., where you can order any burger and fries off menu for just $6. Not valid on Excel event evenings. Burger Moe's offers 20 fresh, never-frozen burger varieties, as well as delicious appetizers, soups, salads, and unburgers, dogs, paninis, shakes, and desserts. Located at 242 West 7th Street in St. Paul, with plenty of free parking, and online at BurgerMoe's.com. With your AM 950 weather, this is Eric Nelson. Today will be rainy with up to half an inch possible. Highs near 51. And tonight, lows around 44. Tuesday, mostly cloudy with a high near 60. And Tuesday night, a chance of thunderstorms with temperatures in the low 50s. Eat local Minnesota.com's restaurant of the week is Victor's 1959 Cafe. A unique local restaurant offering one-of-a-kind food and atmosphere. Focusing on traditional Cuban recipes in a relaxed, casual, and festive Cuban environment. Check them out at 3756 Grand Avenue in South Minneapolis. We are back on LE 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Hello again. I'm here. We've been talking about hope and idealism. And uh, we just got done talking about maybe what happens with the absence of hope. And so let's talk about when we get fueled by people, when our reservoir of hope gets replenished, sometimes overflowing. Um, and, um, and you know that... For the most part, but not always, for the most part, the people who are providing hope are politicians. Um, and, and in particular, in our recent lifetime, one particular president has, one particular politician, oh, I just gave it away, that would be President Obama, has offered hope in a way that we had not seen for a long time. So um, all of us, I, many of you listening right now, remember the stenciled hope poster of President Obama that had, you know, him looking off, um, kind of gazing off into, uh, off up above the, 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 the up to the heavens. Um, and it was stenciled in very funky colors, red, white, and blue. Um, and it was um, iconic in many ways. 
Um, and, you know, and, and much of his initial campaign in 2008 and then again in 2012, his campaign was about instilling, re-instilling a sense of hope to us. And I want to quote uh, President Obama on what he has to say about hope. So here you go. Quote, hope is not blind optimism. It's not ignoring the enormity of the task ahead or the roadblocks that stand in our path. It's not sitting on the sidelines or shirking from a fight. Hope is that thing inside of us that insists, despite all evidence to the contrary, that something better awaits us if we have the courage to reach for it and to work for it and to fight for it. Hope is the belief that destiny will not be written for us, but by us, by the men and women who are not content to settle for the world as it is, who have the courage to remake the world as it should be. Unquote. How beautiful is that? We haven't heard that kind of <laughs> statement in a long time, have we? But the thing that he writes, quote, hope is that thing inside us that insists, that insists, unquote, on believing that better things await us if we only work for them. That really is, I think, a great definition of what hope is. You know, and, and hope was also something that President Obama spoke about at the end of his presidency, you know, where he talked um, about, you know, remember in January of 2017, he's going out the door. Um, it was his last address, I think January 17th of 2017. And, you know, he went and he spoke about um, what he believed for the country. And this is, again, please bear with me, because I do love quoting this man, sorry, but hopefully you like hearing. Um, this is what he said going out the door. Quote, I believe in this country. I believe in the American people. I believe that people are more good than bad. I believe tragic things happen. I think there's evil in the world, but I think at the end of the day, if we work hard, and if we're true to those things in us that feel true and feel right, that the world gets a little bit better each time, period, unquote. I think that that's absolutely true, what he just said. You know, we have to, we have to believe in the goodness of humans, but we have to work to fulfill that goodness. It's not something that we can do just simply by sitting back. In that same address... You know, he talked about <clears throat> um, his children. He talked about what he believed would happen in the future. And he went on to say, quote, yeah, we're going to have a woman president. We're going to have a Latino president. And we'll have a Jewish president, a Hindu president. You know, you know who knows who we're going to have. I suspect we'll have a whole bunch of mixed up presidents at some point that nobody really knows what to call them. Period, unquote. How is that for hope and optimism about our country? And in, at the end of his uh, going away speech, he talked about his daughters, um, um, Malia and Sasha, and talked about what he, <clears throat> he hoped for them. And he said of his daughters, you know, that he believed that his daughters knew that there's a core decency decency to this country and that they knew that they had a responsibility to lift that up you know all of this stuff is so simple in some regard because it really is about us as humans the idea that 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 we all are basically good yes that there's evil but yes that we are all basically good is consistent with things that I talk about. I mean, I have this saying that 99% of all people are good, have good empathetic hearts, 1% total sociopath. But the other 99% of us are good people. Just that many of us are very, very afraid. You know, and um, 
that the concept that there is core decency in this country, the concept that the thing inside of us insists for better things, that it will not give up. I don't know if there's anything more American than that, frankly. You know, and I, I just, I don't. Now, President Obama, of course, is back on the campaign trail now, talking more about the decency of Americans. And what he's doing is helping usher in now, <clears throat> excuse me, another era of hope. I mean, I know that many of you listening right now are pinning, your, pinning hope, a great deal of hope. On the day of November 6th, you are pinning hope that November 6th, by 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock that night, turns out to be a day where change happens in our country. I know that you're doing that. And I know that you're hoping that, no, that by November 7th, there's a new feeling in this country about how things can get back on track to where they were before they started to get dramatically off track. Can you imagine what it would be like if right now we did not have November 6th to look forward to? Can you imagine what it would be like if we didn't hear people running for political office talking about the change that they will bring? Perhaps if we did not have that, we would know what it felt like to be a lifer in prison. Think about that. You know, we need politicians who offer hope. Um, recall my show of a couple months ago where I spoke about Paul Wellstone. Oh, Paul Wellstone. I know just for some of you, I just said his name and your heart just soared when I said that. It, it certainly soars in my heart soars when I hear his name spoken. But that's hope. That's hope in action when we hear that. And, and as we think about hope, it's important to understand that it does not come in colors. Now, I'm going to tell you something that you don't want to hear. But hope does not come in blue or red. And it doesn't come in a burning color, a burning color. As much as we might want to see it that way, hope is universal. It's just that we have stopped talking to each other along colored lines. <laughs> Not only those colors, but blacks and white colors and brown colors as well. You know, but underlying all of this, everything that I'm telling you right now, underlying actually this entire radio show, is the universal commonality that we are all trying to survive the human condition. We are. Again, that doesn't come in colors either. People who are blue or red or Bernie... They're all trying to make their way through life. And we're all afraid. We're all anxious about, about things and stuff, like money, like health, ours or someone else's, like our kids. Anxious about love, about having it, about keeping it, about getting it, about not having it. And we all have a desire to believe that things will get better. We do. I mean, this is universal as well. And that is how our current president actually got into office because there were a lot of people who desired for things to get better in a certain way. And those people um, won at the ballot box, not necessarily on the, on the, on the uh, popular vote, but nonetheless, and I don't want to retrudge all that, Okay. But you need to remember that hope does fuel us. So, a couple of things. Will you make sure that you do vote on November 6th? And as importantly as that, will you do this? Will you make sure that your adult children vote? That is critical. As I was preparing for this radio show, you know what I did? I texted my 28-year-old daughter and I said... Are you registered to vote? Are you going to vote? And are you going to have an absentee ballot? And if so, bring it to me and we can go through it and I'll explain uh, various stands that various politicians are taking. Her answer back was, um, I've got some homework to do, but she's going to vote. 
Talk to your kids about the need to vote. Talk to them about hope. Label it. Something better awaits. It does. And that thing inside us that insists that we remember that, that is hope. But we need to work for it, as President Obama reminded. We need to work for it. That is so incredibly true. Okay, so there you go. Politicians offering us hope. Um, I hope that you are enjoying this show. And again, email me at lejkrug at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. I love hearing from my listeners. When we come back, we'll talk about my work as an idealist. Hello, humans. It's Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many know that I have a diversity and inclusion company, Human Inspiration Works, LLC. I want to share about a speaking event I'll be hosting on Monday, November 5th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at the Loft Literary Center in Minneapolis. I'll be giving my gray area thinking talk on how to be welcoming to others. I'd love for you to join me. Go to elliekrug.com and look at the Human is Human public events page for more. Please come and please tell others. See you then. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. The Fall St. Paul Art Crawl, presented by the St. Paul Art Collective, will be running October 12th, 13th, and 14th. This is a must-do experience that you will love. Over the weekend, you'll have a chance to explore a wide variety of art while touring through local artist studios, lofts, and galleries. Hosting over 300 artists, up for purchase will be paintings, photography, pottery, sculpture, fiber arts, and more. The Art Crawl sprawls over 30 locations. Join the Art Crawl and discover outstanding art for you to own. And when you buy local art, you're providing to artists so that they may continue to create the art we love. The Metro Transit is supporting the local art community with a free transit pass. Download your pass to ride buses and light rail for free during the art crawl. Be sure to get details at the stpaulartcrawl.org. That's the stpaulartcrawl.org. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education, and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging, and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. Back on LE 2.0 Radio, of course, I could sit sit there and listen to 10,000 Maniacs for probably the whole song, but we don't do that because we have business to attend to. So in this last segment, I call my C-Block, this is where I talk um, about my work, and I'm trying to dovetail that into our theme about hope, the power of hope. And um, I want to talk a little bit about my work and something that I'm doing that's coming up that you can actually participate in. So as many of you know, 
I speak and train across the country on human inclusivity and diversity. I mean, I go, well, I go also into Canada. So I guess I'm, in theory, an international speaker. How do you like that? I'm on track right now to do somewhere around 150 talks or trainings for the year 2018. Last year I did 107. We passed that number um, in the middle of August, third week of August. We passed 107. So we're on track to do that. Um, and and just so we have the nomenclature down, diversity, generally very broad brushes about numbers, the number of people in a particular organization or setting who are quote-unquote different or other. And usually that means people who are not white, people who are not straight, people who are um, not, um, not without disability. Um, so people who are without, yeah, without disability, you know what I'm talking about. And, and so... That's what diversity is about. Now, inclusivity is really about the extent to which humans feel that they matter. You know, if you feel that you matter to another group of humans, you're going to be allegiant. You're going to have allegiance to them. You're going to participate. You're going to contribute. If you feel that you don't matter, you're going to check out. I mean, in the workplace, that means you leave, you go somewhere else. In life, if you don't feel that you matter, um, people check out in a variety of ways. They check out into addiction. Um, they check out sometimes by running away, and sometimes they check out by taking their lives. So this is really important work about human inclusivity. And, you know, my goal is to, with, with my training, is to train on how to make other people feel as if they do matter. And you know what? We can, if we want to, we can make anyone, quote-unquote, other in our lives. We can. I, could, I have a saying that I could line up a dozen 40-year-old blonde-haired guys named Anderson and we put them against the wall and we could work to make each one of them other. Oh, gosh, look at how tall he is. And he, he's short and kind of frumpy. We can do that. We do that as humans. We group and label humans. So I have a talk called Gray Area Thinking. Um, it's innovative, it's refreshing, and it helps people to see um, this perspective about inclusivity in a different way. <clears throat> some people find my talks electrifying um, and, and what my talk does gray area thinking does is it provides an easy to understand easy to use tool set on how to be welcoming to anyone who is other or different from quote unquote us and as I said people some people find it electrifying it's uh, not uncommon Excuse me, that I have people come up to me after a training with tears in their eyes. I, I mean, I have people who just come up and say, can I hug you? And sometimes they don't let go. And very often I hear, thank you, thank you. But, um, and what I've realized is that gray area thinking offers hope. Yes, that it offers hope. That it fuels this thing inside of us that believes that things can be better. The problem is that most of my talks have been closed to the public. I call them closed loops. So, for example, a company brings me in, my audience is their employees. They're not asking people from the public, inviting people from the public to come in. I talk to a nonprofit, it's the nonprofit employees. I go to a conference, it's the conference attendees. It's not the public who is invited. However, on the few occasions where I've talked with the public, I mean, we've attracted quite an audience. I spoke last summer in Bloomington, the city of Bloomington. Thank you so much, Bloomington. Um, opened up my gray area thinking, and then I did a Transgender 101 talk to the general public. It was three hours one evening, and you know what? We attracted over 100 people. And so I've decided that I'm going to get into the business of supplying hope to the public at large. Yep. I'm going to get into that business, um, and I'm using that word business very loosely. So I've decided that I will, under the banner of my Human is Human inspirational thinking uh, series, I, if you go to my website, and I'll come back to that, you'll see a, a button uh, or a, a, um, a label for Human is Human. I'm going to launch our very first public event on Monday, November 5th, from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock at Open Book on Washington Avenue. Open Book, the loft, it's the Open Book loft uh, building. Um, there's parking there, by the way, on Washington Avenue in Minneapolis. This will be a ticketed event. It's going to be $18.50 a ticket. I have to charge something for this. 
The goal is not to charge too much. And the goal is to fill the place. I've got 100 seats. I, I hope to fill that place, that setting. It's a wonderful setting, by the way, if you've ever been to Open Book. Um, and I'm going to conduct gray area thinking training as part as the first kickoff part of my Human is Human inspirational thinking series. Gray area thinking from 6 to 8 on November 5th at Open Book. The goal is to inspire. It's to give people the gray area thinking tool set on how to be welcoming to people who are other. If it works, if this first public event, this prototype public event works, I will do more public events. If it works well, I may do a lot more. So listeners, please come to Open Book on Monday, November 5th from 6 to 8 p.m. to learn more about um, how to be more welcoming to people who are other and to get a dose of hope because I promise I'll do that for you. I'll give you hope. This event, bring, bring yourselves, bring other people, you know, Buy a couple of extra tickets. Give them to somebody. In fact, I would love for you to give some a ticket. Bring someone who is kind of on the fence about this hope thing, kind of on the fence about being willing to have an open mind about people who are other. To learn more about this, you can go to my website at elliekrug.com. Look for the menu bar. Click on Human is Human Public Events, and you'll find a link to buy tickets for this event. I really hope that you come and please share word about this. Share the website on my share the page on my website with others. I would love for you to come. I would love to meet new friends. I've always loved hearing um, and meeting people who listen to my show on LD 2.0. But what I'd like you to do is to come and 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 learn and also see that I'm real. That the work that I do, that I really believe in this work, that I do have hope, that I am an idealist. I am. Okay, well, that's another show. I'm sorry about it being a talking head. Hopefully it has been bearable for you. I need to thank our sponsors, the Pride Institute, which is a drug and alcohol residential and outpatient recovery center, and Brending Electrolysis in St. Paul. Contact Bev. Let her know that I recommended you. She does such great work. I also need to thank my um, producer, Brett Johnson. Brett, you are awesome. You are the best. Um, we need other sponsors, um, so if you know any that might be interested in sponsoring the show by this hopeless idealist named Ellie Krug, please um, reach out to me and let me know. And you, my sponsor or my sponsors, my audience, have a great week. Check, uh, see how your hope is doing, and be good to others. Bye.